0: Oddia so' tenterat, puro senz' tidi, nuovo mondo re nata franchi a e bandi. Oddia so' tenterat, puro senz' tidi. And for the rest of you non Japanese speakers, that is what is up or what's up this evening, everybody. This is Christopher Coleman with TrackSounds.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode, which is episode six of the Soundcast. Today is May 4th, 2009. Can you believe it? It's May already. Yeah, believe it. It is May already. And uh, I am excited to be doing number six. And the reason I'm excited is because of the content uh, of this episode. We have a special interview with composer Dean Ogden. That's right, another interview. You know you can't get enough of them. I know I can't. I think this week I've conducted five or six interviews with some uh, with some great guys uh, who are involved in some incredible projects, which you're going to be hearing about more in a little bit more. That means there's a tease coming in this podcast. And then in the days and weeks, maybe, uh, upcoming, you'll hear more. And then you'll finally hear the whole thing. Uh, And you're going to enjoy that. I'm quite sure of it. Um, So in this episode, we do have that interview composer, Dean Ogden. You know him. You love him. If you're on any social network, you'll find him. Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or Cut. You name it. I think he's there. I don't know if he's there on ORCUT, I just it just came to my mind. Uh, but he's there, and he's one of the most visible, uh, approachable, apprehendable, accessible. Um, Composers working in the biz right now, and so we are very privileged to have him on this edition of the Soundcast. And uh, you'll hear that in its entirety shortly. Um, you'll also hear another edition of the Soundcast Spotlight. I've got a great track for you tonight. It's just, it's just ingrained itself so much in my head. I just, I play it, and then I like go away for like two minutes. And I'm, like, man, I got to hear that again. And I totally think you're gonna get the same enjoyment out of it. Uh, as I have. Before we get into that and before we get into the interview with uh, Dean Ogden, uh, it's been a really busy weekend for me. I'm getting prepared for a, a trip, a kind of an impromptu trip uh, that wasn't really on my radar, but now it very much is. So a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that I've had to get done. Uh, but even so, I was able to squeeze in a viewing of a movie I've been dying to see. And if those, those of you who follow us on uh, Twitter, uh, then you know the movie that I'm talking about. If you're not following me on Twitter, what the heck is wrong with you? Uh, so easy to follow. Track uh, TrackSounds, Twitter.com/slash/TrackSounds. You can follow, and I and I tweeted about it. It's uh, John Woo's Part Two to Red Cliff. Now. If you haven't seen part one, it's been out for a few months. Uh, you can get it on Blu-ray. You can get it on DVD. There's no excuse. Uh, don't let the crazy knucklehead dis- uh, distributors in the U.S. rob you of a, of a great opportunity to see a great film. Uh, now I know a lot of you are hardcore John Woo fans, especially his his, uh, his old school stuff, Hardballed and whatnot. Um, I'm not so into it. I mean, they're they're, they're good. But this, to me, is his, his, his best work. I mean, it's not the typical John Woo action flick. It does have its action, but it has so much more than that. Um, there's, it's obviously a historical drama. It does have its a uh, its huge, huge uh, sweeping kind of uh, war epic. Um, it's got just gobs of great characters in it. Um, it's got light humor in it. It's well written, it's well acted, uh, it's got moments that are just pure artistic beauty. I mean they're just shots and sequences that are just beautiful to look at. Um, yeah, the CG isn't, you know, the best you've ever seen, but it's good enough to keep you involved with the film. Uh, there's a few you know, wire foo moments, not too many, there isn't a lot of that, um, but uh, and if you're not expecting that to happen it might throw you... Uh, throw you off a little bit, but um, uh, for the most part, it's great. The ending, eh, I, you know, the ending wasn't wasn't what I expected, and maybe was a tiny bit of a letdown. But as a whole, this movie was fantastic. I enjoyed every second of it, including Taro Iwa- Iwashiro's uh, original score for it. Uh, of course, it ties right into the uh, part one. Uh, and if you haven't seen part one, you need to just just get them both. Set yourself about five hours or so and watch that straight through because it's just a fantastic story uh it's a, and it's a fantastic telling of it and i highly highly recommend it when i i have to admit when i first heard the music i hadn't seen the the films yet and i thought does this really fit you know it seems a little bit too upbeat a little too light a little too happy to be this big uh uh, this big epic war tale, you know, one of the most important um, stories uh, of Chinese history. And, but once you see the film, it works and it really grows on you. Now I, I can't stop listening to Yoshida's uh, work. It's it's beautiful because it does capture the tone of the film. It isn't just a big uh, brazen war epic. It's got, like I said, some light moments of humor. The dialogue is great. Now. One word of warning: If you're not a subtitler uh, if you can't do the subtitles, then then you might have a hard time with this. But if you're like me, I hate most English dubs of Asian film. If it's in Mandarin, I'll, let me hear the Mandarin. If it's in Japanese, let me hear the Japanese. I'll read the subtitle and I'll enjoy it just fine. But when I'm hearing you know, some country bumpkin uh, doing these voices for these Chinese or Japanese people. You know, or some British guy or some Australian guy or wherever they're from. It's like this, just not gonna. And, and then, worst of all, is an American accent. It just, it just drives me crazy. It just doesn't work. So anyway, be forewarned. If you get the Blu-ray or the DVD, it's probably it, it's gonna. It may have an English dub, but. Uh, Maybe the DVDs, DVDs do, because I have the Blu-ray, and I highly recommend that because the picture is is awesome, and the sound is awesome. So don't even waste your time, unless you don't have a Blu-ray, then waste your time and get the DVDs. But get it some kind of way, and watch it some kind of way. Don't let the, the distributors of the U.S. rob you of that, because it's a movie that should be showing right now in theaters, and not some cut-down, hacked-up version of it. Either the full, however many hours it is, should be showing um so go ahead and get that and enjoy that i know you will um so i snuck that in this weekend and uh, was quite glad that i did it had been sitting waiting to be viewed for a little while i said you know what i gotta see this before i leave um and get into all kind and then you know all these big movies are gonna be coming out and i'm gonna be trying i don't know how how successful i'll be uh to get to see them um it's gonna be quite crazy but make the time find the time And watch the films, get the score by uh, Taro Iwashiro, and you'll enjoy that. Um, Now, before we get into that interview, before we do the spotlight for this week, um, as you know, uh, we've been talking a little bit about what's coming up on the site. And that is our annual update to the High Score, the new era of video game music Feature uh, which we normally do once a year, but this year there's so much freaking content. I mean, I've been doing interviews out the wing wang or the yin yang, whichever one you have. I've been doing interviews out of that. I mean, it's been crazy. Um, So, there's so much content we're gonna that we we can't do it all in one post. What we are gonna do, and I think this is actually a little bit more exciting, is over the course of seven days, we're gonna release content we're gonna post content um to that feature um consisting of a podcast interview on some days um a transcribed interview on some days reviews on some days music on some days. Uh, it's just gonna be it's just gonna be like high score fest a week long of video game music uh and so if you're into that man you're gonna have a good week that week now the exact week has yet to be determined because I'm still out to some of the developers to try to coordinate um, the release time of these things. And now, once we hit at the beginning of June, there's a lot of big games that are coming out, and some of those are the ones we're after. But the ones I can tell you about thus far, like last week, we or last episode, we teased uh, just a little teeny bit from the interview with composer Paul Hasslinger, who did the score for X Men Origins Wolverine? Um, we tease a little bit of that. Uh, since then, uh, you, uh, we, I've done a few more interviews, as I just said. You're gonna right now. You're gonna hear a little bit from those interviews, and I think you're gonna be excited about what you're gonna hear. Um, this update to High Score is so big that I had to have some kind of title or theme all itself for this update. So this year's uh addition or update or revision whatever you want to call it for high score i've given the subtitle game time game time this is it enough him back it needs to be said even if it's on a track he's got all the dreams but let's face the facts i'm in this game he's a boxer cracker jack sick with the raps man he's sick with the mic he has four taste but he still lacks the right oh yeah that is game time and that is by a group called downrising and uh one of the members of that group chris newland also is an assistant to composer paul hostinger and when i heard this cut man it just hit me just the right way and i'm like Dude, you gotta let me use that for the, the theme for this year's update to High Score. And he checked it out with um, some of the other members, um, like uh, Mark Baker, um, uh, Dane Leon, uh, Will, uh, Burkhead, Matt Blyer, um, or Byler, sorry. Uh, and they all seem to be down with it. So um, that's gonna be our kind of theme song for the High Score update this year game time 2009 that sounds pretty good i like it uh... and so you can find that track uh... on their on their website just google down rising and you'll find them all over the web they're they're an incredible group i have a few other songs by them they've got that uh... hip-hop rock kind of vibe to them and uh... and i really enjoy their sound and i thought that was a perfect fit for the uh, high score update for two thousand nine um, so included in the in the update well yeah we've got a, a a great theme, but there's got to be some content in there. And so, uh, some of that content you're going to hear right now. Um, this week, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to sit down with both Gordy Hobb and Ray Harmon, who are the co composers for the upcoming game Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings. <laughs> What would you say your your biggest challenge was? The project? My biggest challenge was, I believe, battling between me the composer and me the fan of Indiana Jones because I just would not let it go short of making these scores sound just like the originals in the sense of, of the style and the harmonic language and and uh, you know, the sound of the orchestra. So the challenge for me was you know, meeting that, you know, high expectation that I placed on myself, um, you know, right down to when I was mixing these uh, live recordings, I was A-Bing back and forth with the original scores from, you know, Raiders and, and trying to match the, the sound of the room that the orchestras recorded in because, again, you know, I really was trying to truly pay homage to that sound, you know, that I love so much. And, you know, as a, as a fan of the, of the film's, uh, feel as an audience member that I would want it to match that as well.
1: I think the biggest challenge and the most interesting part, and I, I think the thing that I pulled off best, in, in hopefully pulled off best in, in a couple of places, was trying to write melodies like uh, John Williams. I think that's one of the key things with um, John Williams' scoring is that even in the sort of his darker cues, even in his really sort of dark uh, uh, suspenseful cues, there's always these gorgeous little hooks and melodies going through. And um, it's not just the main theme or the baddie theme or whatever. It's it's there's always these great great little hooks. And um, and I tried to do that as much as I could so that there's like a series of. Um, melodies and um, little tiny handles along the way um, I don't know how well I, I pulled that off but that was the approach I took with it. that was probably the biggest thing that I concentrated on rather than um, the you know, sort of the technical orchestration thing I, I approached the sort of melody writing first and foremost
0: and that was composer Gordy Hobb first and then after that that was composer Ray Harmon Uh, who are the co-composers for Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings, which will be coming out for the uh, Wii and uh, PlayStation. So you should be looking for that in stores real soon. Uh, But also you should be looking for both of those full interviews as a part of the High Score Game Time 2009 update coming in just a few weeks. And now it's time for the Soundcast Spotlight. Today we put into the spotlight a score from composer Aesop Rind uh, for the small film Killzone, which has no relation to the Killzone of video game fame. Uh, This particular Killzone was actually directed and produced in 2003 and has recently found its way to the DVD shelf uh, just in the last week or so. Coinciding with that release, Uh, was the release of Aesop Rind's original score on Amazon MP3 and iTunes. So we put our specific spotlight on track 31 epilogue by Aesop Rind. That was the epilogue from Killzone, composed by Aesop Rind. You can buy that track and the whole Ding Dong soundtrack at Amazon MP3 or at iTunes. Uh, you can read more about uh, composer Aesop Rind uh, on our Scorefront profile, which we just published. And if you go to the Track Sounds homepage, you'll see uh, Aesop Rind right there. You can click on that and it'll take you right over to his page. You can read uh, our interview with him, listen to four tracks um, composed by him, two from Killzone. You can read a review of the Killzone soundtrack, all right there on the Scorefront profile page. You can find out more about the composer at his official site at ASoffrind.com. And that brings us to our feature interview tonight with composer Dean Ogden. And Dean Ogden has been um, involved in... Uh, the music world for most of his life. He started out as a drummer, um, and as you'll hear in the interview, learned piano. But um, he's played the drums for um, artists such as Tina Turner and Seal, um, and Dido as well. And then uh, has moved into in the in the more recent years of his life into film composing. And he's worked on films such as The Sensei. Uh, Dreams on Spec uh, and In the Eyes of a Killer. And he has another project uh, that is about to release on May 12th entitled The Way Home, and it'll be making its debut in in Atlanta, Georgia. And so we're privileged to be able to speak with Dean for a few moments about his upcoming project and about some of the other things he's involved with, which includes uh, the Scorecast uh, podcast, which is an immensely popular podcast for up-and-coming film composers around the world. And so he shares thought of thoughts about that as well so uh, well let me jump in with you and ask uh, about your most recent project um, the way home now yeah. it's, it's the way home. Now it used to be the road home. Is that right? And then it changed. actually,
2: no, actually it was actually, it was originally called our child is missing. And they thought that was a little too on the nose. And so they, okay. they, they changed the, the name of it, but yeah, it's the way home. So,
0: okay. And, uh, I saw the trailer for it and, mm-hmm. um, Dean Kane obviously he's in there. It looks, yes. looks pretty intense. And I noticed that, um, they used, uh, some Zimmer thin red line in there. They did.
2: Yeah. Journey to the Line, I think is yep. the, uh, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And so my first thought was, you know, whenever they put that in any trailer, it's like, I almost feel bad for the composer, <laughs> the composer, the score, because, yeah. because that's a, that is such a intense piece. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Did that? Uh, did you know about that beforehand, or have any inkling, or they just did it and you're doing? I your
2: did. I, I did. I saw the trailer, and and uh, there's a couple of of different things in there, I think. But but yeah, the, that journey to the line piece definitely. The director loves that music, and so uh, we we had actually talked about a, a little bit of that uh, going into the project. Luckily, it wasn't. Part of the temp, so it, you know, I wasn't feeling the pressure too much. I didn't get, I didn't have to do the trailer music, thank God. So, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I got, I I lucked, I lucked out there. But, uh,
0: well, does that that, clue clue us into how intense your music gets for the movie?
2: A little bit, yeah. It's actually kind of a Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde type of thing for this score. It was really interesting. The 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 there's there's kind of two sides. If if you don't know the background of the film, it's basically. It's a great movie. It's it's a, it's a drama, and it's basically about... It's a true story, actually. It actually happened um, about 10 or 11 years ago um, in rural western Georgia. And uh, this family basically was getting ready to go on vacation, and they turned around, and their son was gone, their 2-year-old son, was playing in their driveway, and they just literally packing their car to leave. And, and they turned around and the kid was just gone, just vanished. And they didn't know if he'd been abducted or if he was dead or if he had, you know, gotten taken off by a wild animal or uh, if he just ran off into the woods. I mean, they didn't really know anything. And, and basically, as the film unfolds, uh, the, the, the story is, is just about all the people who gather together to help find this kid and, and you know whether or not they do find him and then what the, what the outcome is. And it's really a cool story. And, and, uh, but, but yeah, it's, um, it does get a little intense in places and, the, and, um, you know, there's kind of two sides to it. There's a, there's a redemptive side, which, which I was, you know, I jumped in to kind of score the the redemptive side with some real, uh interesting tones and then there's of course the flip side which is just the the panic you know something like that like that happening to your kid yeah to your child and, and just the chaos that you that you would go through as a parent to you know find your child in, in a circumstance like that and and of course that needed to be uh scored a little bit more intensely and a little bit more dramatically
0: sure uh now your the debut is coming up on the 12th of may is that right correct yeah and it's in atlanta
2: yeah the premiere's in atlanta at the fabulous fox theater the famous fox theater that's 404,000 seat theater there oh, nice. in atlanta yeah, now why so, atlanta um that's where the 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 incident took place actually just about um about an hour out of atlanta in a uh, a little uh spot called carroll county georgia okay in, and so it's really fascinating, man. It's 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 part of a it's it's you know the project is is unlike anything I've ever been involved in before because I'm actually scoring the events of these real people's lives. Right. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to go back to the premiere now and meet all the real people. Yeah. That were actually in the the, the movie um, as extras, but uh, you know. Dean Kane playing the part of Randy Simpkins, who is my executive producer. So, okay. uh, you know, it'll be an interesting experience to, to go back and be part of that.
0: present any extra pressure to you as you're writing the music thinking about uh, I don't know if you've done any uh, projects before that were based on, on real life, but I would think that that might add some pressure, especially if you're going to be watching it with the real people. It did, it did I've, I've actually thought about that a lot and it,
2: it was really a um, really a point of interest to me to really make sure that I just threw everything I had into the score and to make it you know 210% something that I'm absolutely proud of because I know that this is Randy and Crystal's life you know this yeah. is something that that really happened to them and 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 you know losing their son you know in in this way like they did the movie if if you see the movie you'll you'll see uh how it all wraps up but it basically you know it just uh I mean god something like happening like that to you as a parent I can't imagine I don't have kids yet yeah yeah, and so uh, it, it was really, you know, for me the the touch point was the uh, the panic of them, and, and just you know trying to really tap into that in a musical sense and from a tonal palette, um, and uh, and yeah, so yeah, the pressure was on. I mean, I, I really, f- you know, they they didn't really pressure me at all, but I felt you know my own personal pressure to really to really perform well for them because this is their life story, you sure. know? And uh, so, yeah, and to answer your question, it was, it, I, I felt a, a real burden to make sure that this was absolutely accurate and absolutely, uh, musically what they were feeling as parents as they, as they searched for their son.
0: Right. How did that, uh, influence your, uh, what instruments you chose and, uh, and so forth?
2: There's a, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride um, because, you know, there's, there's a lot of things happening in the film and the story. Um, basically, what, what ended up happening was uh, state and county officials and, and search and rescue teams were called in to find Joe Simpkins. And, and along with uh, Randy and Crystal's, uh, you know, network of friends and family. So literally hundreds of people. Uh, working to find this missing child, and acro- across the state, you know, from 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 their county and on into other counties and so on and so forth. And so, you know, you've got helicopters and fire and rescue teams and and uh, search dogs and you know mm-hmm. all those kinds of things at work. And so, uh, there was a a definite surge mm. uh, in the community to uh, to work together. And so so that that influenced my you know my orchestral palette quite a bit because I had to uh, write music that was definitely very uh procedural if you will mm-hmm. um, but also uh the the cinematography and the and the area the the geography of where this all took place is very epic it's very sprawling territory, very sprawling turf and um, and the terrain is such that Made it very difficult to to search for somebody who's missing out in the rural woods of of West Georgia. So, right. uh, you know, I I ended up using a lot of horns, a lot of big strings, um, and then of course, being a drummer, I you know I all my scores are, are are percussive in nature in some way, shape, or form. So, so yeah, it was a very big a big project. I felt like. Um, you know, usually, usually my stuff's a little bit more personal, a little bit more introspective, I guess. Or, or mm-hmm. And and this was a, a larger scale score that really challenged me. And I'm, you know, very, very happy with how it turned out. But it's definitely on the grander uh,
0: side of things. Do you think there'll be some sort of uh, release of, of your music?
2: I sure hope so. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of different, uh, because of the spiritual nature of the piece... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pretty heavy duty, um, involvement from some different bands, okay. um, for a soundtrack release. And there, there wasn't much source music in the film. Um, there's one, one spot in the film that features a, a, a great piece by a guy named Warren Barfield, um, who's a, uh, a, a spiritual artist, a Christian artist, I believe that's mm-hmm. that's pretty popular. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then another group uh, that closes out the end credits, but uh during the actual course of the movie, it's mostly score um, but I think they I think they're working on a soundtrack release, and I sure hope that some of the score makes it in
0: yeah, okay. Well, and not and not just the music inspired by sort of deal. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah,
2: you know yeah. the the director Lance dreeson and and my producer uh, Clint Hutchison are very big score fans. I mean, they they really rode me to uh, to really go big, and and there was actually a couple of times where. They they would look at me and go, yeah, man, just cut loose. You're not going big enough. You know, wow. you're not you're not big enough. You're not big enough. You're not big enough. Which was really cool because I've I've worked for directors in the past that are you know trying to quell things down a little bit, and these guys yeah. were the exact opposite. They wanted a big, epic, lush, um, lushly written mm-hmm. score, for lack of a better word. <laughs> and uh, so I was I was really happy about that. It was really a chance to really go for the gusto and. and and really hit it home, you know, I think we, I think we, think we ended up accomplishing that, I hope.
0: Okay, well, I look forward to hearing some of that, and and it's got to be great to have, uh, you know, your director or producer raising the ceiling for you uh, continually. Absolutely. Uh, that has got to be refreshing. Now, when you say that, uh, you know, they're, they're both big uh, score fans themselves, that leads me to uh, another question Um, that I want to start asking uh, composers that I interview, and that is because one of the, main goals of of track sounds is um is exposing this genre of music to the mainstream mm-hmm. and making it okay to be a fan of this music um as a composer in the genre uh it's it, your perspective will be unique hardly unbiased of course but what do you think <laughs> of th- this type of music the type of music that you write um and especially though you coming from you know the pop rock world uh mm-hmm. as well what do you think of this type of music as a as a as a more mainline mainstream uh genre of music do you think it's even possible that it could become uh more that way and more embraced by the general public i i do i i do
2: i I, you know when i was a kid um Film music was around, of course. Uh, Goldsmith was a huge influence on me when I was a kid, and but but even more so. And I, I've I've tried to kind of educate the people that I run into uh, in in this arena. Uh, I, probably the the person that got me started really paying attention to film scores, ironically, was um, probably one of the biggest pop and rock producers that that has ever you know touched our generation, and that's David Foster. Hmm. David Foster was a huge, huge influence on me, and still remains to be to this day. And I've I've had the fortune to work with him on a couple of different album projects. But, um, you know, um, his work uh, for for films like St. *Almost Fire*, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, *The Color Purple* with Quincy Jones, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that really affected me when I was a kid. He wrote, you know, a lot of Scores that nobody's really ever heard of, fresh horses stealing home with Mark Harmon, um, things like that, and and I um, another one, one good cop with Michael Keaton, which I thought was a great score, mm-hmm. um, and his his orchestrations and stuff really affected me when I was a kid and really made me pay attention to film music. And of course, when you have people that are in the pop world like that, Quincy Jones, David Foster, uh, Bill Conti, um, uh, you know people that people that are that are coming from that world, it makes it a little bit more accessible because then you go, well, this person has a pedigree that, you know, yeah. uh, that precedes them. But I think with the generations now that, you know, I was just talking to, to my director, Lance, like, about this last night at dinner. We were talking about, you know, the, the big argument between analog and digital and really mm-hmm. how it really doesn't matter anymore because the kids that are growing up now don't even know what analog sounds like. And yeah. so if you play, you, know, you, play, you play something on vinyl to them and they go, the heck is that? That doesn't even sound like, doesn't sound right to me, yeah. you know. It's, it's, <laughs> what bit rate is, is back, that? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So backwards from what, you know, people like you and I are used to where yep. we grew up in a, in a world of, of analog and, and vinyl and cassettes and so on and so forth. So, um, but to answer your question, I, I, I do think it, I do think that film music, um, can be accessible, um, via mainstream means. And, and I think what's going to have to happen though, is people like you, people like, um, you know, some of the other great, uh, websites and and things that are happening now um it's just an education process it's an awareness process that needs to continue and and even be supported i I'm really thankful that um'm hearing noises from Washington you know now about <clears throat> the arts being a priority really in our government mm-hmm. and um that hasn't happened for a long long time so um you know i i think it's i think it's slowly. You know, becoming um, a little more accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thank God for people like uh, uh, Robert over at Verez and mm-hmm. you know, people that are really furthering uh, film music and trying to get it out there um, on CD and, and on iTunes. And you gotta love uh, you gotta love Apple for just having. A label on the iTunes Music Store that's even called "Soundtrack," and we and when you <laughs> yeah. go there, the majority of it is film scores, which is really cool, you yeah. know. And, I, and so I think there's little things like that that people are doing that are making it uh, just a little bit easier for people to realize that we're not just talking about, you know, Miley Cyrus and 16 right. songs, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's an actual thing called a film composer, a person who 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 actually, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. puts, puts music to picture so yeah. I, I just I, I really you know I, I know that's a simple answer but I really think it, it is that simple I just think it's a it's a um, you know and and what's cool about film music right now for me at least is I watch you know some of my my pals and some people that I've, that I've never met that I really admire that uh, are doing some really cool stuff you know Brian Tyler and mm-hmm. Tyler Bates and people like that who are kind of are classically trained people, but but also sort of have that rock and roll attitude about them that that says, you know, hey, look, you know you don't have to wear coat and tails to do this kind of thing. It's um, you know mm. you you just have to have a dramatic sense number one mm. and and second, maybe to that, a musical sense and and um, you know know how to uh, convey a director's emotions through your music. And if you can do that, you can be successful. Um, to some to some degree, mm-hmm. uh, scoring films and I, and I think that's really an attitude that is cool. It was, was kind of started by people like Michael Kamen, um back in the day who I really respect and, and just miss a lot
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, you know just the 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 uh, kind of rebels I guess of the film score world that kind of started that attitude and i 'm starting to see it more and more and more uh, be more and more prevalent now, which' really inspires me and thinks maybe there's a future to you know a lot more people getting involved
0: so so you are you saying that because you see this um you see the music becoming or the people who make the music are more uh for lack of a better term down to earth uh not you know uh the the quote-unquote hollywood type um that that in and of itself will make uh the music more accessible to more regular joe people I
2: think so. Yeah, maybe maybe not the Hollywood type, as the more educational mm, you know, okay. kind of, of uh, elite. You know, okay. there 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 does. I mean, I I'll probably get really uh, a lot of uh, hate e- email for saying something like this, but that, you know, there there has been a bit of an elitism in film music that mm-hmm. that, is, that is kind of gone on, and um, I'm start, we're starting to see that kind of fade now. You know? mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do also with just the Web 2.0 stuff that's happening and just the accessibility of people. And, uh, I mean, you and I uh, hooked up on Facebook, I think, initially, and that never would have happened five years ago. I mean, right. it, just, it was impossible, you know. Right. And, uh, um, and I've, I've gotten together with, uh, I mean, I put this project together, The Way Home, Um, by searching people out on Facebook, new people to work with, and and found uh, I ended up talking to Dan Wallen. And uh, he recommended the guy that uh, uh, recorded the score for me, Michael Arvold. So, I mean, there's just just a a degree of accessibility now throughout our business that wasn't there. And and really, people have sort of been kind of trying to keep it at bay, I think, personally. Mm -hmm for the last you know 15 20 25 30 years and uh, the technology now has allowed us to really interact with each other and really uh, grow smaller in the film music community as that community grows larger at the same time so i think that's pretty cool
0: ah interesting well said well said now you now you are both an accomplished drummer and a composer um how does how does you know, becoming a part of a you know a a, a session uh, live or in studio uh fit into what you do do you well, let me ask it this way do you consider yourself a composer first or a drummer first
2: boy that's a great question man uh i've been playing drums since i was 5 years old so um I guess technically I was a drummer before I was a composer because I didn't really, I didn't really even know what a composer was until I was about thirteen or fourteen, mm-hmm. and even even then I wasn't really sure. Uh, so, um, so definitely, I you know I started out on drums. Drums is drums and percussion are my main instruments, and uh, and then I, I I learned to play piano when I was about twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, and learn how to read music and stuff when I was about 12. So I I, uh, I definitely started behind the kit. Um, but I, I think passionately, it's changed a little bit. You know, And my parents are probably going to kill me for saying this, <laughs> all the thousands of dollars they spent on drum kits and stuff when I was growing <laughs> up. But, yeah, it's kind of shifted, man. I, I'm, I I love film. I'm passionate about film. I always have been since I was a little kid and just... You know uh it all started for me, of course, where it started for a lot of people seeing uh star Wars and mm-hmm. you know and uh Raiders and you know all those great the 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 greats from nineteen seventy seven through about nineteen eighty eight which is a real huge impact just hit me like a ton of bricks and and that yeah. music was just epic for me, and I just thought, man, how do people do that? you know who does that who's the guy you know yeah and, um and so passionately now, I I think my passions have shifted definitely. I would say for sure in the last 15 years to just being a, a film composer first at heart, mm-hmm. and uh, the the percussion stuff seeps in, you know, to everything I do. And, and it's different, you know. It's the the pop world, which I do most of my work as a as a drummer in the pop world and pop and rock, uh, top 40 stuff. Um, it's a little different, man. It's changed so much, you know. And and, and it follows kind of the same pattern a little bit maybe as film music but for the most part it's you know yeah. it's a lot of loops there's a lot of electronics there's a yeah. lot of you know there's a lot of uh beats and you know making beats and that kind of stuff and, and right. it's it's you know it's it's technologically um a little disheartening at times to to show up for a session and and have them say well you know here's Half the stuff's already done, and it was done on an MPC 4000, and mm. uh, you know, here just play along, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's still sessions that I go to, luckily that, and thankfully that I'm that I'm able to really, you know, kind of do my own thing and put my own style and spin on things. And also has to do with the producer. So I say all that to say that it's, you know. Um, the director can be looked at for a movie as the producers looked at for an album project. You know, okay. it's really really up to them. It's really their vision and, and what they want yeah. and what they're trying to accomplish, and uh, hopefully you get a good one that really recognizes the, uh, the, uh, the greatness of, you know, collaboration and what's possible out of a situation like that
0: right Well, would you say drumming you know to go into a live session is somewhat of a release for you I mean you just play I mean you gotta read and follow direction but you play is yeah it, is it yeah a it
2: is it is it is it is in fact I'm, now that I've wrapped up the way home I'm looking forward to a, a month basically in May of, of just straight out sessions uh, mm. here, in, here in LA and in Minneapolis and different places around the country and, and I'm excited it's, it's kind of cathartic you yes. know, after you after you write uh, you know, uh seventy eight minutes of film music or, you know, however much it ends up being per project, it's it's nice to just go in and wail, as Miles Miles Davis once said. You know, <laughs> sometimes you gotta forget all that beep and wail, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh that's that's how I feel about it. I, I, I like uh you know, playing drums for me is like uh brushing my teeth. You know, I can just I can just go in and and we can have a great time, and everybody's in a good mood, and everybody's creative, and we just slam it out and do some some good work, and and move on. You know, yeah. it's it's really it's really different from film scoring in that, you know, they they say in film scoring when you don't really ever finish a score, you just abandon it. Yeah, you know, and uh, and right. you definitely you know with a, with an album project, there's a definite end to it. You know, there's a there's a completion time and you move on to the next one and, and you just know that it's done and, and that's kind of nice it's kind of right, nice right. A, nice change of pace
0: right well uh just as we're wrapping up here i want to ask you about um uh, the scorecast and the scorecast online um yeah. uh i think we have talked a little bit about before in the past uh as i was as the idea for doing a um podcast came to me for for my side and I'd really not seen any real value in doing one only because I've seen others do them and they stop um, yes uh, and, and it's like well why'd you stop but then I realized I, I know why they stop <laughs> it's just a lot of work it is and, man, and, it, and it's a very it's a very niche uh, segment you know people who, who are going to listen to that but you know um, uh, so reason i said that was because that was the the, the name that i wanted and i as we talked about it i was like well scorecast that'd be perfect and that's really how i came to find out who you were because mm-hmm. i did a search for it after mm-hmm. i had uh registered a domain and because and, it didn't come up so i thought oh it's free so no one's using it but then i did a search afterwards and that's what led me to your site for the first time i was like okay. oh man he's already got it so i can't use it freaking it. dean <laughs> <laughs> so then i <laughs> then i send you a friend request <laughs> right yes and we became pals so it was yeah. good. yeah um but uh but it all worked out okay uh, you know now I, I don't i don't even think scorecast in my brain anymore i used to when i was mm-hmm. first recording I, I i have to remind myself say soundcast but now that's in there ingrained but still it's a Scorecast is a great name, it's a great concept, and you have a very specific um, uh, purpose for your podcast and the extended um, uh, plans beyond that. Maybe you'd like to share a little bit about what that is.
2: Sure, I'd love to. Uh, Scorecast is, is basically a, a podcast for uh, film music professionals, and whether you're an emerging or veteran composer, uh, an orchestrator, a copyist, a player, uh, a contractor. Uh, anybody that's really involved, music editor in the, uh, in the film music world, it's really, it's really a, a, a resource for those people um, to, it's kind of a, you know, for film music professionals by film music professionals type of thing. And uh, it, it basically it started a couple of years ago with with me and my assistant just kind of goofing off and being stupid, mm-hmm. and uh, you know kind of sharing how we run our studio and how we you know kind of do things around my my place, and uh, and then all of a sudden um, NYU and a couple of other uh, film music programs started recommending it as. Has recommended listening, and I thought, "Oh my God!" Once I found, <laughs> once I found out that I, I thought about quitting. I was like, "Oh," uh, but yeah. uh, I thought, "Wow, we we probably better get serious then and really start, you know, doing stuff that matters." Yeah. And uh, and so I enlisted the help of a couple of really great composers, Lee Sanders, who's the uh, principal composer for The Amazing Race for CBS. Right. And uh, Brian Satterwhite, who's a real good friend of mine and actually just orchestrated on this project for me. He's out of Austin, Texas, and he's a very successful film composer down there. He uh, kind of has a, a lock on the Austin scene down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I, I enlisted those two guys along with about six or seven other folks to kind of uh, reboot the uh, score cast and... And really uh, fine-tune it into a situation where we are, on a monthly basis, we're sharing insights from everyone in the film music community. And I mean people from people like Alan Silvestri Mm. down to people who've never scored a note and want to and Mm. just have a bunch of questions about how to build their studios, uh, network into the network. Um, should they or shouldn't they move to Los Angeles or New York City, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're just basically, you know, we're not trying to compete with film schools or anything like that or anybody else's podcast or website or anything like that. Basically, what we're trying to do is just educate people on what they don't teach you in film music class. Mm. Um, You know, how to deal with directors, how to deal with rejection, how to deal with uh, picture change, how to deal with, you know... Um, budgets, how to put together orchestral budgets, you know, things like that, things that are the real nuts and bolts kind of things that, that you really don't think about until it's too late and you're forced to think about them. And by then, you know, if you haven't thought about them, you're kind of screwed. Right. So, uh, so that's kind of the goal. And and yeah, moving forward, we've got plans to unveil a website, which is basically a, a glorified blog, if you will. Uh, kind of a group blog on uh, just with our show notes and and the different things that uh, people we've got uh, monthly columns coming from all kinds of different people from from the community and different facets of the film music uh, industry mm. and so I'm really excited about it man it's been a long time coming and and it's you, you can you can go on iTunes and search Scorecast it'll pop right up right and I think there's like I don't know. I think we have 19 episodes now or something mm-hmm. so it's uh yeah it's moving forward it's a lot of fun
0: well it looks it looks and sounds like it's going to be uh, an exciting venture and now you you use the term uh film music and film music world basically film world. is there is it uh, does that extend into the video game world it as does
2: well? it does as a matter of fact yes yes it does as a matter of fact we've had uh interviews already with people like john rodd who've inter- you know uh He's engineered a lot of uh, video game scores. Uh, we've got an interview coming up with Justin R. Durbin, who's a video game guy down in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, video games, TV and film, basically. And, and even people are doing, you know, I mean, I'm, who knows? You know, that, one of the cool things, like we were talking about earlier, of just the way technology is now, is, man, who knows what the next big thing is going to be? I know guys, people in the Scorecast community that are scoring incredible webisodes, you know mm. web web series that are just yeah. i mean definitely absolutely 100% on par with anything that's on television right now right and uh it's just really you know the the game is totally changing which is really cool and yeah. uh really great to see some of these other avenues being explored by uh composers and so so yeah it's open to everybody who you know i guess a media composers right uh, um, if you want to, you know, throw an umbrella term in there. But, um, yeah, it's open to everybody. It's free. TheScoreCastOnline.com uh, as soon as it hits. And then we're literally about a week away from from uh, blowing the roof off and kind of right. going
1: public. So,
0: yeah, pretty cool. I'm real excited about it. And that'll do it for this edition of the Soundcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. My special thanks to composer Dean Ogden for coming on and sharing uh, his thoughts and his heart about um, his uh, most recent projects to uh, composers Gordy Hobb and Ray Harmon, uh, composers for co-composers for Indiana Jones and the Staff of Keynes, for Hadley Mickle of Lucasarts PR, who helped put both of those uh, interviews together. Of course, you'll hear that full interview. Both of those interviews come uh, the launch of High High Score Game Time uh, to Chris Newland and his band. Downrising for their song Game Time, which is going to be the theme for High Score this year, to Greg O'Connor Reed for his help with Kill Zone, the music by Aesop Rind. The Soundcast official theme that you hear right now was composed by composer Mark grisky The show was hosted by yours truly, Christopher Coleman of Tracksounds.com, and is produced by that same guy. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and as always, continue to enjoy the music.